Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, happy new Gregorian New Year to you, to us all, I guess. I'm I'm part of it. I'm part of the year. Um, this is um, the first, obviously the first show of the new year. Not a lot happened this week. Donald Trump appeared on um, Fox's Fox News Channel's New Year's Eve show in the last 10 minutes. They teased him for 55 minutes. No, they didn't tease him. They teased us about him and then presented him to, um, with some technical problems, count down the new year about four seconds late. Man, we'll never get those four seconds back. The only good thing I can say about it is that it probably totally squashed the uh, ratings that CNN might have had with Anderson Cooper and Kathy Griffin. Boy, talk about gravitas. Anyway, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia are in the news as the, new, as the year begins. Why shouldn't they be? Because they executed 47 prisoners yesterday, Saturday, including a prominent Shiite, can I say that on the radio, cleric, who was protesting against the government, wanted political reform. Kill him! Don't just kill him. Behead him. That's what they did. The move prompted, really, backlash from other Muslim nations as well as human rights groups. The uh, person in question was cleric Nimar, Nimar al-Nimar. He and a handful of other Shiite activists was, were also executed. That uh, Those executions could, speculates one U.S. newspaper, invite sectarian unrest in the Middle East. No, really? That's unheard of. How could that... Tensions remain high between Sunni and Shiite Muslims. As you know, Saudi Arabia is a predominantly Sunni nation. Hey, isn't Al-Qaeda Sunni? Isn't IS Sunni? Amnesty International decried the death sentences for Al-Nimr and other Shiite activists, saying Saudi Arabian authorities are using the guise of counterterrorism to settle political scores, unquote. Well, isn't that what it's for? Isn't that what that guise is? The guys and the gals. In Iraq, Shiite political leader Muqtada al-Sadr called for demonstrations across the Gulf states to protest the execution. That should keep things under control. Al-Nimr was a vocal critic of Bahrain's monarchy, which you may recall forcibly suppressed protests during the putative Arab Spring of 2011 with the help of Saudi troops. Hey, they're all over the place. Helping wherever help is needed. Popular among among disgruntled Shiite youth in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, Al-Nimr never denied the political charges against him, but maintained he never carried weapons or called for violence. That's not going to help you now. His nephew, a juvenile, when he was arrested, is also facing execution, but he wasn't on this week's list. Amnesty International has complained about juveniles being executed. Let him live first, then beheadings reached their highest level in the kingdom. Last year, 157. But their freedom... (laughs) Coinciding with the rise in executions is the number of people executed for non-lethal offenses, such as Mr. Al-Nimar. Judges have wide discretion to rule on 
these sentences for those offenses, particularly for drug-related crimes. At least 63 people were executed since the start of the year for drug-related offenses, said Amnesty. That figure was at least 40% of the total number of executions in Saudi Arabia, compared to less than 4% for drug-related executions in 2010. This was the highest level of deaths caused by the government in Saudi Arabia since 1995 when they offed 192 people. Our freedom-loving friends, ladies and gentlemen, how could, you know, they're, they're all about stability. Our freedom-loving and stability-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Hello, welcome to the show.
from the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show and declaring kind of victory, kind of, a university has decided that about a dozen words and phrases are problematic and should be banned from everyday use. Northern Michigan's Lake Superior State University this week released its 41st annual list of words banished from the Queen's English for misuse, overuse, and general uselessness. This according to the Associated Press, which is, they have to know. The list includes starting an answer with the word so. Yes! Proof positive, ladies and gentlemen, that some idiot in, no, sorry, some expert in northern Michigan's Lake Superior State University listens to this program or, you know, shares my view of the world. Other uh, words and phrases that uh, they wish to be banished from further use are presser as a synonym or substitute for news conference. But that's, see, that's, that's a, an example of something else. That's an example of an inside usage going mainstream because that's what people in the news business have called press conferences and news conferences for years inside but when it gets outside it goes it seems ugh, like I'll, I'll, get, I'll give you one it used to be a very inside usage for media people to refer to cities you know you're new york you're los angeles you're new orleans you're san francisco you're philadelphia as markets because that's what advertisers thought of them as. And the media, of course, are supposed to think like advertisers do. Uh, that has now gone mainstream. And you hear people all the time in public media, I don't mean public radio, I mean media aimed at the public, not at the trades, talking about, yeah, well, you know, major markets. He's, he's big in major markets. Markets. Other words they like to uh, remove. Problematic. Walk it back. And break the internet. Oh, please. And here's another one I've been fond of making fun of. Join the conversation. I, I like... I. I uh... Oh, they also want to get rid of secret sauce. It's usually used in a sentence explaining the secret in excruciating public detail. Says uh, a person who wrote in in his nomination of the word secret sauce but for so so has the distinction of getting the most nominations for a banished word and making the banished list twice this year people find starting a reply with it to be overused meaningless and affected really no kidding in 1999 those nominating it griped about its incessant use as a modifier as in i am so down with this list some linguists say starting an answer with so flowered an academia I said that and I'm not a particularly among those in the fields of science technology and engineering Mark Zuckerberg has used it giving it a pop culture currency according to the Associated Press people I turn to for currency and for pop culture university spokesman and list overseer Tom Pink said he and his colleagues were surprised by a lack of political terms. They expect to see more in the forthcoming presidential election year. I'm going to declare victory, ladies and gentlemen, and call a halt to my... Well, I called a halt about three months ago to uh, calling attention to it. But 
Now for real, my work here is done. Uh, this is a new broadcast for the first week of the year. But as I said at the outset, so little happened this week that I am going to review a couple more things that happened last year. It's kind of a mini year in rebuke. Hi, this is Adam Buckholz, and this is uh, Entrepod, the podcast for wannabe entrepreneurs and uh, for people who want to be one. And it's uh, brought to you this week by our friends at Quiffle.com. I invite you to take the free entrepreneurship, free entrepreneurship inventory and see if you've got what it takes to make the Quiffle Entrepreneur Boot Camp. You probably do. That's how our friends at Quiffle make their money. Uh, today, my special guests on the Entrepod are two young guys who uh, understand that in the 21st century, uh, entrepreneurship and disruption are two sides of, uh, of the very same P. And Curtis Deranger and Brian Flynight, welcome to the podcast here in my parents' living room. Thanks, Thanks. Adam. <laughs> uh, Curtis, why don't you start us off here uh, and tell us what industry you've made it your, uh, your mission to disrupt. Sure, Adam. Uh, my company is Farm Boy. With a PH. <laughs> That's right, with a PH. We don't do any farming or anything to do with farms, uh, but we're disrupting the pharmaceutical business one drug at a time. Wow, that sounds exciting <laughs> and a little dangerous. Is this part of the sharing economy or, or, or something actually new? A little of both, actually. <laughs> okay, so uh, tell us about how Farm Boy works. So it's an app-based service, mm -hmm. iPhone and Android. Yeah. And we even have a BlackBerry version, which we did just sort of as a joke. But it's based on a very simple insight. Many people don't finish taking their prescribed amount of medications. Which means that uh, there's a lot of half-filled bottles of pills lying around? Uh, usually they're standing, but yeah. And uh, these are still at full potency, and they've been FDA-approved for something. And up to now, they've been doing nobody any good. And people can uh, put their pills up for... What, sale or auction through Farm Boy? Yeah, it's auction-based. Mm. We have a guy who used to work at eBay, and he developed our software platform. Oh, cool. And uh, what kind of medications are these? So it really runs outside the gamut. Uh, diet pills, anti-anxiety drugs, anti-convulsives. Pretty much anti-everythings, right? Yeah, right. And um, because you're just providing the auction platform, mm. you're unregulated. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's our secret sauce. Mm. Uh, the transaction is between two users of our platform. Mm. They decide pricing and delivery details, although we do offer a bespoke delivery service is what we call a, a real-life plug-in. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. And, and let me ask you uh, like a, a, a tough question. Okay. A young hedge fund guy got in trouble this week for uh, buying a drug company and then uh, really uh, jacking up the price of the drug. Mm. Is that part of your business plan, too? <sighs> so... Uh, because it's an auction-based platform, mm -hmm. we do offer surge pricing. So if demand for a medication is particularly high, to be able to assure that there will be a supply, the price uh, is going to spike. And, of course, uh, we participate in that. Because you commission the transaction? Right. Oh, very cool. And uh, how does the surge pricing guarantee a large supply? So people see the price activity. And it incentivizes them to go check their medicine cabinets. Lots of people don't know what they have hiding back in there till they look. True that. Also, we have some hospitals jumping in when the prices go up enough because at that point, 
the return they can get on their unprescribed pills uh, it can help them fill some gaps in their funding profile. I'm so excited about this. I'm almost eager for the next time I get sick. <laughs> <laughs> and my other guest, Brian Flynight, has also got a disruptive little enterprise going on. Hey, Brian. Hi. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, patent trolling has been a thing for a while now. Um, uh-huh. Those are uh, uh, companies that buy uh, patents from firms uh, like in Chapter 11 uh-huh. and then use them as the basis of uh, lawsuits against users of the products or services in the patents. So, yeah, you read my talking points. <laughs> you start to get the hang of this podcast thing after a while. Uh-huh. Hey, my mom is signaling that took, <laughs> the cookies are ready. So Right. Uh, so you saw how much money Warner Chapel made for claiming the copyright to Happy birthday to you. You mean before this week's court ruling that they have no right to it? Yeah. You can get people to pay a lot of money in royalties before someone has deep enough pockets or enough time to waste to take you to court. <laughs> so what is your company claiming the rights to? We're starting with Old Lang Syne. The New Year's Eve thing? Yeah. Everybody plays it every year. It's a money machine. But so far they've been doing it for free. Right. But that joyride is over. We're... Uh, out to teach them that there's no such thing as a free lunch in the music business. Wow. Well, major legal talent uh, must be part of your personnel component. Oh, we're very litigator-focused in terms of our workforce, yeah. Mm. We've also got in our copyright portfolio, I've been working on the railroad. Mm. Sort of an oldie, but an oldie, though, right? Well, in the sense that almost nobody works on the railroad anymore, sure, <laughs> but the melody has been used for the University of Texas fight song, and... <laughs> That's just a freaking gold mine. Wow, of course. So you focus exclusively on copyright challenges? No, we also do trademark challenges. Oh. Uh, you know the company that claimed the copyright on Happy Birthday, Warner Chapel? Yeah, yeah, huge publishing company. Mm-hmm. Well, we've trademarked the name Warner Chapel, and uh, we're going after them big time. <laughs> you mean they never trademarked their own name? Well, they tried to, but uh, they left out the forward slash. This one's a slam dunk. And uh, unlike Curtis, uh, there's no internet or mobile component to your business model? No, we're we're kind of old school that way. I mean, we do email our cease and desist letters, but <laughs> sure. uh, but uh, email is old school, too. True that. Hey, those cookies are not getting any warmer. I want to thank my guests, Brian Flynight and Curtis Deranger. I want to tell you that on our next edition, I'm trying very hard to get as our guest, Daisy Meisner, who's uh, starting to disrupt the for-profit education business. Uh, She's opening the first female-only military school's tough titties. Until then, I'm Adam Buckholz saying so long from my folks' house. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Eversall, Jr., Dayline Rio de Janeiro, you know, that's where the Olympics are going to be held next year. Or this year, my goodness. Look how time flies when you're having time. The governor of Rio has declared a state of emergency as of this past Wednesday. A budget shortfall caused chaos in the state's healthcare system. That should be good for the Olympics. The declaration comes as hospitals, emergency rooms, and health clinics cut services or closed units throughout the state as money ran out for equipment, supplies, and salaries. Governor Luis Fernando Pazao's decree immediately provides about $25.5 million in federal aid. 
He hopes it will speed the release of more emergency funds for health care. In Rio State, the declaration comes amid an outbreak of Zika, a mosquito-borne virus that causes fever. It was first detected in Africa in the 1940s, unknown in the Americas until last year, just before the Olympics. Brazilian health authorities have linked Zika to a surge in babies born with microcephaly, a birth defect that seriously limits a child's mental and physical abilities. Last week, the Rio State Health Authority said the cases of pregnant women with Zika virus symptoms had doubled from the previous week. Microcephaly cases rose 45%. TV news reports have shown the sick being turned away at the hospital door on Christmas Eve. Aww. We are living through a very difficult situation in the state, perhaps the most difficult of any of the Brazilian states, Pazao told reporters. But we're counting on the federal government to pull the state out of this situation as quickly as possible. The state of emergency will last 180 days or until late June. The Olympics are scheduled to begin in the city of Rio, August 5th. Timing. It's everything in this business. And Deadline Tokyo, the, the head of Toyota Motor Corporation, stepped down this week as vice president of the organizing committee for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. That's got to be good news. Organizers acknowledged the cost of hosting the Games will be far higher than originally thought. How does that happen? It's the Olympics. The budget is always right in... The committee said that Akio Toyoda is expected to be replaced by the president of Panasonic, whose name isn't Panasonic. Toyota is also a member of the Japanese Business Federation's Committee for the Olympics. Organizers said Toyota have, may have been concerned about serving on both committees as the Olympic body is seeking support from the business community. And now, more support than ever. Toyota Motors is a major sponsor of the Olympics. Mr. Toyota might have tried to sort out his roles, was the explanation given by the head of the Tokyo Organizing Committee. Health problems in Rio, money problems in Tokyo. It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Now news of AFAC. An Afghan trucking company owner has been charged with giving soldiers bundles of $100 bills to obtain U.S. supply contracts as part of a multi-million dollar corruption case, according to court documents. A criminal complaint filed just before Christmas in federal court in North Carolina charges Hikmatula Shadman <laughs> with conspiracy and bribery related to payments made to two soldiers in way back in 2009. This follows efforts by the Justice Department to freeze more than $63 million in bank accounts controlled by Shadman, with authorities alleging the money was fraudulently obtained from the government through inflated trucking contracts, according to the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. The, the uh, complaint says law enforcement agencies have been investigating corruption in the war effort in, in Afghanistan and have uncovered evidence that Shadman's company and others paid bribes to receive contracts despite charging more than competitors. Here's the thing. We flew over scads of cash to give to former President Karzai to uh, pay off warlords and other people who needed to be, um, you know, greased 
So the Afghans went, well, well, looks like a goose. I look like a gander. Uh, Robert W. Green, then an Army Staff Sergeant, got approximately $140,000. He told investigators he asked for money after hearing that Chad Mann had paid other soldiers. Well, that's the best excuse in the world. A few days later, he received a phone call asking him to visit Shad Man's compound, where he pulled out, he, the, the businessman, pulled out a plastic bag containing a bundle of $100 bills from his clothing. Green accordingly, apparently received several such payments of between thirty dollars and $50,000. David Klein, at, at the time of first lieutenant and Green's super, superior, received about $50,000 in cash, with the understanding that he would give work to Shad Man's companies. According to the complaint, both Green and Klein have pleaded guilty to accepting bribes. The requests were supposed to be the request for Afghan trucking companies to move fuel, food, and water at the behest of the U.S. government. Those were supposed to be subject to a competitive bidding process, but that could be circumvented if the military designated a specific company. And that's how the bribes happened, because we allowed it, because we were teaching them something. News of AFPAC, ladies and gentlemen. And now, the Apologies of the Week. Deadline London, a British cabinet minister has been forced to apologize for a memo he wrote three decades ago. In the memo, he blamed rioting in predominantly black neighborhoods on the, quote, bad moral attitudes of the residents. That was an unquote after that. Bad moral attitudes. Oliver Letwin who heads the cabinet office and is a senior advisor to current Prime Minister David Cameron, apologized, quote, unreservedly for any offense these comments have caused and said the memo was, quote, badly worded and wrong, unquote. You'd like to have your wrong stuff worded well, wouldn't you? At least gives it half a chance. Letwin apologized after the National Archives released a memo written in 1985 by he and a colleague written to then-Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. They warned her away from investing in the affected inner-city areas, saying it would be a waste of public money at a time when some of her senior ministers were calling for public investment to help minority-owned businesses. Letwin and his co-author told Thatcher any money pumped into the blighted areas would end up supporting, quote, the disco and drug traffic, unquote. Japan and South Korea's landmark accord to end a divisive historical dispute happened this week. The two countries announced a final and irreversible agreement over the issue of comfort women who were forced to serve in Japanese military brothels before and during World War II. Under the deal, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's government apologized, saying it was, quote, painfully aware of its responsibility for their suffering and would finance a fund for the about four dozen surviving comfort women. This year's 70th anniversary of Japan's defeat in the war focused world attention on the country's war legacy and the comfort women. The fact that many of the survivors are in their 90s lent urgency to an agreement. George Lucas apologized on Thursday for remarks he made in a recent interview with Charlie Rose in which he described the new Star Wars film as too retro for his taste and jokingly compared the Walt Disney Company, which bought the rights to the franchise off of him, to, quote, white slavers who had bought his children. (laughs) He doesn't do comedy, does he? After his comments were widely reported, Lucas said in a statement, quote, I misspoke and used a very inappropriate analogy, and for that, I apologized. Lucas said filmmakers in the Soviet Union had more freedom than their counterparts in Hollywood. This was in the interview. They 
The ones in Hollywood, he maintained, have to adhere to a very narrow line of commercialism. Unquote. You think? You think, George? Really? Hmm. He appeared particularly unhappy with the direction Star Wars franchise had taken since he sold the rights to Disney for $4 billion. He compared it to the sale to a divorce. In a statement Thursday, Lucas said he was thrilled about Disney's plans for the franchise. Quote, most of all, I'm blown away with the record-breaking blockbuster success of the new movie. Unquote. Somebody reminded him of the $4 billion. Oklahoma City meteorologist Shelby Hayes has apologized for using the term Indian giver on the air this week. I send my deepest apologies, he said in a post on Facebook. I had no idea that's what it meant. I've been informed now and can promise I will never say that again. We live and we learn, unquote. While discussing the gift of a nice weather forecast for the holidays, he said things would change quickly by the weekend. Quote, it's the Indian gift giving. That's what my dad calls it when you get something and it gets taken away, unquote. British astronaut Major Tim Peake has apologized for dialing a wrong number and saying, Hello, is this planet Earth? On board the International Space Station, Peake insisted he was not playing a joke on the woman that he called up by accident. I'd like to apologize to the lady I just called by mistake saying, Hello, this is planet Earth. Not a prank call, just a wrong number. Dateline Nina, Wisconsin. The Nina Joint School District has released a statement regarding a video circulating online showing an associate principal making an inappropriate gesture. During a training, the associate principal at the high school, Chad Boobolts, made an obscene gesture while learning how to live stream with Google. That session was recorded and later posted on YouTube. A valuable lesson related to live streaming video was learned by a Nina High School administrator who unknowingly recorded an inappropriate gesture. The administrator has taken full responsibility for his unprofessional behavior and apologized to students, staff, and families for his actions. Unquote. The school also says they don't know who uploaded the initial video. While the first video was taken down, others have been placed on social media. Bubolt apologized Wednesday evening to students over the PA system. That's the best use of a school PA system I've heard in a while. Superior is apparently a town near Duluth. Its mayor, Bruce Hagen, has issued an apology for, quote, a poor choice of words in a moment of anger, unquote, in a controversial Facebook comment about President Obama. He says he should have described, he should not have described Obama as Muslim. He says that in a letter running in the newspaper. Quote, recent days have brought considerable responses to my Facebook post regarding our president. The anger, pain, and extremely foul comments are duly noted, as are the substantial numbers of positive messages received. I have zero ill will, disrespect, or animosity toward the Muslim religion. Unquote. His apology. The letter comes in the wake of a firestorm of controversy about the comment he posted online Responding to a post that included a photograph of First Lady Michelle Obama, he wrote, quote, Unbelievable. She and her Muslim partner have destroyed the fabric of democracy that was so very hard fought for. Unquote. And he ended his sentence with a preposition. Didn't apologize for that. Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice J. Michael Eakin tearfully apologized this week for exchanging emails that included pictures of naked women and crude jokes that mock minorities, gays, lesbians, and others. But the justice said he had been the victim of a media circus dragged through the mud without the opportunity to address the misstatements in my mind, the total dishonesty in many of the news reports. He said he regretted the messages sent and received on a private account but made public because they were exchanged on government computer servers. Just like Hillary's? I apologize, he told the Court of Judicial Discipline, adding he believed he shouldn't be held accountable for the messages he sent, but not the ones he received. He pleaded with the court not to suspend him. It's not criminal. It has nothing to do with my performance on the job. Unquote. 
And the woman awarded the title Miss Puerto Rico 2015 has been suspended after posting a series of anti-Muslim tweets. It's all a rage. The tweets, which have now been deleted, were posted by Destiny Velez through her Miss Puerto Rico account, also now deleted, to filmmaker Michael Moore. Moore had tweeted a photograph of himself with a sign which read, We are all Muslims, protesting against Donald Trump's recent anti-Muslim comments. Seemingly appearing to side with Trump, Velez responded, Why are you defending Muslims that haven't done nothing for the USA? She proceeded to accuse Muslims of providing oil and terrorizing the U.S. and using the U.S. Constitution to, quote, plant gas stations, unquote. The Miss Puerto Rico organization issued a statement on Facebook confirming Velez's suspension. The post also included a personal apology from the former Miss Puerto Rico. I apologize to the people I've offended with my words. I am first and foremost an upstander, that's a hashtag, and as such, I stand up against bullying. The last thing I wanted to do was bully anyone. Again, I apologize to anyone who felt offended with my words. She failed to make it as one of the 15 finalists for Miss America last September. So she's in a good mood. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I met a man who was happy And yet was losing sleep I saw sadness inside him Unhappiness underneath And was it a crime? Was it a shame? Was there a face that he saw in his mind again and again? And he told me, well, there are times when I'm happy, and yet I am incomplete. The only thing I can tell you is that some arrows go in. Clouds all around us Even when skies are blue There may be memories that blind us And yet we all struggle through And are we alive When we feel pain And can we refuse to remember A past life The name of a lost love The sun may be shining, but all I can do is weep. The only thing I can tell you is that some arrows go in deep. And it's not a cry, no one's to blame. By the one thing they won't have again, and I know that there are times when I'm smiling, and yet I am incomplete. The only thing I can tell you is that some arrows go.
This is Le Show, looking back at this week and at last year a little bit. We were talking about Afghanistan a moment ago. And, of course, uh, one of the big trends in Afghanistan over the past year has been the resurgence of... Who would have thunk it? The Taliban stuck around. And now there's talk... There are reports, I think there was one in the independent newspaper in London this week, that there are even suggestions that the Taliban might be preferable to the new guys in the country, the guys from ISIS or IS or ISL or ISSSSIPPI, as I think they're going to call themselves shortly. So very much like the situation in Syria perhaps developing where our enemies are our, are the friends of our they are friends are the anyway the most sort of newsworthy event of the year in Afghanistan was when the United States attacked uh, an aircraft of the United States attacked bombed and um, destroyed a hospital run by doctors without borders who are now at least in a, in Kunduz province doctors without hospitals too um the, not to make a light of it, the attack killed doctors, nurses, and patients. And the United States has taken responsibility. The United States is investigating, not allowing an independent international investigation as of yet. But the president did say he was sorry. Sorrier than the Ritz Hotel, if you're sweet as bedeviled by lice. Sorrier than Exxon, about the loss of Arctic sea ice. Sorrier than a schoolboy, when his parents catch him swearing. Sorrier than Uber, about the disruption caused by sharing. My sorrow is far deeper than a sinkhole in Arizona. My sorrow is way stronger than espresso brewed in Kona. I'm much sorrier than the Volkswagen guys when it was revealed they were cheating. I'm sorrier than even I am when my wife sees me overeating. I'm truly beset by the deepest regret that my generals made up a story. I know you're outraged and you can't be assuaged, but on the other hand, I'm sorry. sorry about all the bloodshed and the patients burning in beds. I'm sorry the generals and colonels and sergeants just weren't using their heads. I'm sorry we had a hospital, if that's really what our targets were. But we're having an investigation, so I'm sorry I can't be sure. I'm sorry you think it's a war crime since I won a Nobel Peace Prize. I'm sorry to have to remind you, but we really are the good guys. I'm sorry you're leaving Kunduz. They could use some medical care. Although I'm sorry to say most people who can are getting the hell out of there. It causes me pain that one of our planes should go back to the laboratory. 
So I hope you can see that if it's up to me, I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly from Australia and Great Britain this week, because it's it's all over the place. This godly thing. Adelaide's Catholic Archbishop, Philip Wilson, has announced he's going to return to his post this month, despite the fact that he's facing a charge of concealing child sexual abuse. Got to give him credit for guts. Wilson has been on indefinite leave since March when he was charged by the police down in New South Wales. The charge relates to when he was a junior priest. He's pleaded not guilty to concealing the serious indictable offense of the now-dead pedophile priest James Fletcher in the 1970s. In a letter published on the Catholic Archdiocese website, Wilson says he decided it is now appropriate for me to end my leave and resume my duties as Archbishop of Adelaide. I'm going to be down there, I think, in um, June. I'll check him out. Wilson said he had made the decision for many reasons, including the fact that I do not know how long it will take for the charge against me to be resolved. I will therefore end my period of leave. He respects that some people may disagree with his decision. In no way should this decision be interpreted as my not taking this matter very seriously. He said he would take no role in professional standards matters in the Archdiocese, nor will I be involved in the professional standards work of the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference, or, note this well, ladies and gentlemen, or my former work with the Truth, Justice, and Healing Council until this matter is resolved. Well, that's fair. No, no truth, justice, or healing from him until Dateline London, evidence suggesting that senior clergy tried to cover up sex abuse by an Anglican bishop, has been uncovered by the BBC. Two priests raised concerns about Peter Ball, but were urged to keep quiet or saw no action taken. And a couple who worked for the now-jailed Ball, he was former Bishop of Lewes and Bishop of Gloucester, said they also tried to raise concerns but were ignored. His offending is the subject of an independent review, and a national inquiry is looking into Anglican church abuse. The retired bishop was jailed in October for a string of offenses. you got to keep him on a string, otherwise you can't remember him. Against teenagers and young men. One person said he told a priest in 1992 that Ball had abused him, but he said the priest later received phone calls from three bishops who urged her to make sure he and another alleged victim did not talk to police or the media. The uh, complainant, who waived his right to anonymity after Ball admitted assaults against him, believes senior clergy were more concerned with the church's reputation than with the victims. Another priest who helped one of Ball's victims said he tried to raise concerns with 13 different bishops who appeared to take no action. 13 different bishops, an old blue song, isn't it? What upsets me so much, said uh, the man who worked as Ball's gardener, is that the church did nothing. Unquote. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet her. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet her. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet her. Safe, safe, too safe to meet her. Eddie the Adam, happy 2016. Well, it's uh, in Adam terms, it's 75,455, but thank you. Okay. 
Nice to know that. Dateline uh, Las Vegas, Nevada agencies are moving toward finding fault and a fix following an explosion and a fire at a long-closed radioactive waste dump northwest of Las Vegas, according to Nevada's state top cop. Public Safety Director Jim Wright declared the police investigation finished after State Fire Marshal Peter Mulvihill submitted his findings about the October 18th accident. The report said rainwater from unusually heavy storms drained through cracks in a trench cover mound. We love those. And seeped into corroded 1970s era barrels before reacting violently with metallic sodium at the site about 20 miles outside a town of Beatty. What was wrong with the 1970s? What was what was their problem? What didn't they know? Mulvihill reported the material that exploded was from a closed U.S. Bureau of Mines facility in Bureau in Boulder City, sorry, east of Las Vegas. It wasn't radioactive. No injuries were reported. No radiation was detected by first responders. So, repairs were made? Yes, repairs were made in the weeks that followed. Several 55-gallon drums that had been blown beyond the fence were returned to the crater and reburied. The damaged area was filled with dirt. The investigation is now in the hands of state radiation control and Department of Environmental Protection officials. So Vegas is safe? Vegas is safe. Thank whoever. South Carolina should begin collecting $1 million a day from the Department of Energy, right about now, for the agency's failure to either remove one metric ton of weapons-grade plutonium from the state that's my favorite grade. Me too. Or process one ton through the Savannah River site's mixed oxide fuel fabrication facility. Collecting the money, which might max out at $100 million a year, may prove to be a challenge since the department has yet to acknowledge the governor's attempt to levy the funds or a threat to sue if the Department of Energy refuses to pay. Governor Nikki Haley sent a letter in mid-December to Energy Secretary Muniz announcing her intent to levy a million dollars a day from DOE over the missed milestones for MOX, the nation's current pathway to meet an agreement with Russia by disposing of 34 metric tons of weapons-grade plutonium. I don't think Russia's paying attention to this. They got bigger fish, to, uh, hotter fish to fry. <laughs> uh, maybe. Promises made must be promises kept, said Haley, referring to an agreement signed by the former governor and the Department of Energy. That individual promise has empowered Haley and the Attorney General to impose the fines. South Carolina cannot stand idly by while DOE violates federal laws and fails to fulfill its commitment to the state, Haley wrote in the letter. They've stood idly by for 100 years. You're an atom, really political. I know, I know. I just couldn't help noticing. More than 90% of the fir trees in forests close to the site of the Fook disaster are showing signs of abnormality. I show those every day. And plant lice specimens collected in a town more than 30 kilometers from the crippled Fook facility are missing legs or crooked. You want your plant lice to have legs? You're just asking for the moon now. It remains unclear whether the mutations in plants and animals are definitively connected to the Fook disaster. All that scientists in Japan are prepared to say is that they're trying to figure out the effects of radioactive cesium caused by the release of huge amounts of radioactive materials from the triple meltdown at the Fook plant. Cesium? I hardly met him. That's beneath you. Nothing's beneath me. 
I'm an atom. Scientists are seeking answers. Quarks are beneath you. Strange. Charmed. Scientists are seeking answers to how radioactive cesium spread in forests and the soil after the accident, along with signs of mutation in plants and animals in areas close to the stricken nuclear plant. That understanding is key to putting the consequences of the worst nuclear accident in Japan into perspective. Cesium-137 is a primary concern. It has a half-life of 30 or so years. Forests were excluded from decontamination work. Good with the teeth? Yeah, I am. An undetermined amount of cesium is bound to remain in forests and lie buried in the ground for many years to come. Mountainous forests cover 70% of the Fuk Prefecture. But the rest is good. Deadline McMurdo stations at Antarctica, five years after an exclusive investigation by ABC News in Cleveland, uncovered how thousands of Navy veterans were secretly exposed to nuclear radiation. A government review board has officially linked their exposure to cancer. The report found leaking water surrounding the reactor as well as hairline cracks in the reactor liner, prompting two federal hearings that upheld the report's findings. So it's frozen, but it's hot. In that ironic and deadline, St. Louis, the Environmental Protection Agency this week ordered installation of an isolation barrier. Now, oh, those make me feel so lonely. To make sure that an underground fire does not reach buried nuclear waste at a landfill in suburban St. Louis. Mark Haig, regional administrator of the EPA, said the plan for the landfill also calls for additional engineering steps such as cooling ho- uh, loops. Hmm. Come summertime, you're going to want one of those. A what, a cooling loop? Mm-hmm. The barrier will consist of an underground wall. Not an ice wall. No, just a wall. Nuclear waste dating to the Manhattan Project was dumped at West Lake in 1973. An underground fire has been smoldering there for years and now is within 1,200 feet of the waste. The work will be paid for by subsidiaries of the company which owns the landfill and the contractor whose workers illegally dumped the nuclear material. The company insists there is no risk the fire will reach the nuclear material. Environmentalists disagree. I'm with the company. I'm a company, Adam. Nice. Westlake was declared a Superfund site in 1990. In 2008, the EPA announced a remediation plan to cap the nuclear waste with rock, clay, and soil. The plan drew enough opposition. The EPA decided to reconsider. It has not yet announced a new plan, despite criticism from those who feel the agency is moving too slowly. Never too slow. But you're an atom. That's right. It all seems too slow to me. Clean, cheap, safe. Too slow to meter our friend the atom. And now, ladies and gentlemen, 2015 was the year that longtime head of the International Organization of what the world calls football and we call soccer in America, Sepp Blatter was suspended for eight years as a result of investigations into bribery allegations that uh, have sidelined both him and his chief aide who was 
the chief candidate to replace him. The uh, agency, the World Organization for uh, Football, as they call it, is called FIFA. Never know how much they matter Little payments that you make To account name of bladder Feeling that's so hard to shake They give you FIFA In a meeting FIFA when you cast your vote FIFA Bears repeating Only way to float your boat Could have gone to Cyprus World Cup could have gone to France Could have sent the cup to any damn country But just one bought the tickets to dance And it gave you FIFA In the morning FIFA when you made your choice FIFA Don't need no warning gentlemen that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show the program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over npr worldwide throughout europe the use and 440 cable system throughout japan 
around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ The Planet on the mighty 104 in Berlin. Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. On your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from SoundCloud Sideshow Network, iTunes, tuneinradio.com, and wwno.org. And it would be just like taking money from Afghan contractors if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts in time for Valentine's Day, all available at harryshare.com. Oh, and if you're on Twitter, so am I at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network, so long from the home of the homeless.